Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Very honored that they asked me to, to speak this morning. I was ordained in another tradition, and over the past 40 years I've been doing ministry, but not um, as a pastor. And so it's very rarely that I preach, so I ask your prayers and your grace, and um, just to see what God can do um, through a, a willing person. Uh, most of our work has been in the parachurch ministry and mostly with young people. Um, I have a seminary degree and doctorate in, in ministry, but even my work there, I didn't do a, do a lot of public speaking. But to communicate in two languages, in ASL and English, uh, completely different structure, completely different grammar and syntax, etc., like that, the quality of both will start to really go down with time. So I've asked Kathy if she wouldn't mind to interpret uh, for us, and I'll hand off my signs to her as well. Our daughter, who's deaf, will probably be watching on the Facebook, as well as several of our deaf friends. Um, so they're joining us today. Father Alex asked that I share a little bit about us before I get started. Um, Kathy and I grew up in Gainesville and then were away for uh, 35 years, I guess, and work and kids and, and, and got them all settled. And then um, a few years ago, Kathy's mother's health declined, so Kathy retired early um, to come back and take care of her mother during those last years. And so uh, at the conclusion of that, we had decided to move back down here and... and um, begin this era of our life. Our background journey had a lot of involvement with um, Young Life and youth ministry and church. We helped start a couple of churches, um, taught a lot of writing and different things like that. And um, Kathy's had a wonderful year uh, career as an occupational therapist. And even with those responsibilities, we co-started a ministry um, that is a national ministry for deaf and hard of hearing teenagers called Deaf Teen Quest. And for the last 18 years, I've been leading that ministry and have passed that on to the next generation and uh, have moved here to, to start a new, new era. After seminary, Kathy and I decided it was time to start our family. And we have five really neat adult children in their 30s now that are just kind and fun and in many ways heroic young people because they were born in really tough situations. And so we adopted all five of them from three different adoptions with three different ethnic uh, groups and three uh, completely different cultures. Um, and there's only four and a half years between the youngest and the oldest. And so I, as they were growing up, I called that a high-impact family. And so that was sort of just to warn people when, when the heirs were coming and so now we enjoy 10 grandchildren. So let's turn to the, uh, your pew Bible in Mark 10, 46 through 52. And um, while I wanted to lower your expectations of me, I want to raise your expectations of what God can do through his word in our hearts and our minds as we look a lot deeper into um, this story. So let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Amen. The storyline begins in Mark 9, and uh, the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all have elements of this storyline where they were in Capernaum, uh, up near the Sea of Galilee, which was where uh, Peter and James and 
Andrew and these guys grew up. And Jesus moved there and made that their, their headquarters. So they were coming to Jerusalem, but they went down to the other side of the Jordan and to the east side, came down the King's Highway, a very popular route during that time. The last town before they go up to Jerusalem is Jericho. And it's only about 15 miles as the crow flies from Jerusalem down to Jericho, even though it's at the Dead Sea and Jerusalem's up in the mountains. Um, And so Jericho's actually one of the oldest continually inhabited cities in the world. It was 9,000 years old when Jesus was there coming through. And it had had several different communities that had lived there, but it had been a continuous uh, community there, which is just kind of fascinating part of the story. So as we jump into the gospel reading, verse 46, they came to Jericho. And when he, Jesus, was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. The Gospel of Luke tells of a blind man being healed on the way into Jericho. And it's a very similar story in, in some ways, but that is clearly coming into Jericho, which was then followed by Jesus meeting Zacchaeus and the huge crowd and Zacchaeus climbing up in the tree. Uh, it was in that same journey. And Jesus goes and, and meets all his friends and stays with him. And then Mark tells us about the healing of Bartimaeus as they're leaving Jericho. And Matthew tells us that there were actually two blind men who, have, who were healed uh, during that leaving up to Jericho. So there's Bartimaeus and this other guy. So the storyline is there's a blind guy healed coming into town, Zacchaeus and the crowd, and then he got to Bartimaeus and probably this other, um, this other blind guy, that, not probably, this other blind guy that was there that were sitting on the north gate. And when Bartimaeus heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now Bartimaeus had been sitting in this place begging probably for most of his life and probably an important part of their family's economy in terms of him doing what he could do as a blind person at that point. And he was used to the crowd noises and used to the noises of the city and knew that maybe there was sort of a riot going on over here, or the Romans were arresting somebody over here, or there was some sort of a wedding feast and, and listening. Kind of. so, but this crowd was clearly different. There was, still, there was something about this crowd around Jesus who was watching him heal people and do miracles and teach and talk and come, that as it came closer to Bartimaeus, Bartimaeus knew that he was probably coming, and there's, there's a really key reason to that. Um, and probably Bartimaeus knew that there was a blind guy on the other side of town who had gotten healed, and he's blind, and you know that news travels pretty quickly, even in that day and age. But notice that Bartimaeus um, is, is recognizing that something is different. This is not just another crowd and another prophet or another teacher coming through. Something is different. Doesn't really understand it, but knows that it's the, the, a descendant of King David who was the greatest king in the Hebrew history a thousand years earlier, and that this guy was son of David. He was a descendant. He was royalty. And blind Bartimaeus senses that God is moving, coming closer, and he calls out. He, he moves near to that movement of God. And he senses this opportunity. 
what he doesn't realize, because he just has a, a minimal understanding of what's going on, is that opportunity is God. It's God moving. Now, theologically, we know God is always moving. And he's always around us and always pursuing us. But our lives get pretty noisy, and they get pretty distracted, and we get pretty obsessed on, on other kinds of things. But when you sense God moving closer, it's a pretty good time to sort of recognize that something's happening in me that's making me aware of that, and I want to get close to it. I want to move toward where I see God moving. Sometimes I think faith is just learning to tune in to the movement of God, that there's an awareness that there's something beyond us. And, and, and this can happen even before we understand who Jesus is, that we get a sense that there's something here that has given Bartimaeus and gives us hope. So when we sense God is near and is moving, we should draw close to that. Not only is that where the excitement in life is, but it's where everything begins to change. Verse 48, And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. The first tendency of the the crowd may have been a natural response, but it was wrong. They ignored his cries for help, and they tried to put down his right to be heard. I think we tend to do that. I think we tend to, to ignore the calls of, of things that are not fair and injustice and danger and hate, and we tend to ignore it because we're not personally directly involved. It's interesting the lectionary connects these script, the other scriptures, particularly Isaiah, with this particular passage, and I think this particular verse. I think that's why the lectionary uh, folks connected it. Because focus, uh, Isaiah is focusing on the absence of justice. And I think that to ignore the cries of the marginalized is an injustice. And I'm personally very insensitive to that sometimes. Somehow we don't think that they love their children like we love our, their, our children. Or that we think that their pain, it doesn't hurt them quite like it hurts us when we're in those situations. We lose with this disconnect and we kind of dehumanize people and their suffering. And I think that's a sin that I need to repent of and that we need as a community to recognize that their suffering really is our suffering as well. We need to care about the things that concern God. When Jesus first announced his ministry, he read another passage of Isaiah 61, just a wonderful scripture. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. These are the priorities of Jesus, and so they are our priorities. We are compelled to recognize the dignity of others. The brokenhearted, the poor, the captive, the prisoners, any who are bound by physical or emotional or mental or intellectual or social constraints. Now, sometimes we simply just need to do acts of kindness, you know, a, a handout, a help, a kind word, a friendly word to somebody at the grocery store. 
which by the way, pray for all our children, four of our five children live within a mile in walking distance of the Kroger in Louisville where the two people were killed um, the other day. Um, in fact, Kathy was visiting at one of our daughter's house when she heard all the commotion. And such a, such a tragedy. So sometimes we just need to be doing acts of kindness with people and help them. But sometimes we need to get involved on a deeper level. Verse 45 and 50, And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. And they called the blind man and saying to him, Take heart. Get up. He's calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. Don't you just love that imagery? You've, you've got somebody who's had no hope, and it's like he called me, and he just jumps up and he comes forward. He not only has gotten close to Jesus, now he wants Jesus. He wants to be there with him. And the same people who just a few minutes ago were saying, shh, be quiet. We're, you know, we, don't, we don't want to bother him with your needs. Okay, or turn that around, and I think they need to be applauded. They recognized immediately that they were wrong in doing that. And they turned that around and became encouraging, and they said, get up, take heart. He's calling you. Come on, Bartimaeus, go see Jesus. And God wants us to see each other with that kind of value because that's how he sees us, and that's how he wants to engage with us. And so when we encourage others, we help them to remove the barriers in their life. That's a, that's a very intentional sentence. And in fact, we're helping them remove their barriers. We're not just removing barriers for them. We're, we're coming alongside them to figure out what the need is. Hebrews chapter 6 from today's reading reminds us, our great desire is that you keep on loving others as long as life lasts in order to make certain that what you hope for will come true. Then you will not become spiritually dull or indifferent Instead, you will follow the example of those who are going to inherit God's promises because of their faith and endurance. That's another one of our readings today, that he's, he's talking about how we do, what we do, how we respond matters. How we love and encourage others matters. It makes a difference in a person's life. And good works are, are important. We can't earn our way to heaven, but they're an expression of, of the grace that we too have received. When we lift up those around us, we help them remove barriers. When we encourage them, we help them in ways that actually make them better. When we do these things, we reflect the priorities of Jesus. Now here's my favorite part in the story. Verse 51, the first part. So Bartimaeus comes running up to Jesus. He's blind. He gets there. He's been begging. And Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? What do you, what do you want me to do? He didn't go on his own assumptions of what Bartimaeus needed. He didn't, he, 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 he didn't just say, well, hey, you're blind. You need to, obviously need to see. But he asked the question, what? What can I do? How can I help? Think about it in the history of Jesus. He's always asking questions like this. Woman, you know, where is your husband? Daughter, where are those who condemn you? You know, do you want to be well to the guy lying by the well for 38 years? Do you want to be well? Maybe you don't. You know, 
What do you want me to do, Bartimaeus? We just do better when we listen, when we ask and we listen. Time and again, Jesus would do that. And I think he just really wanted to know. I know he's the son of God, and he always, you know, he knew a lot of the answers, maybe all the answers before he asked him, but I think that is the most respectful thing that we can do with folks is to assume that they know more about their lives than we do, <laughs> and they know what their need is, and we just want to, can we help? You know, God, what are you doing today? Can I join in? You know, can I be a part of that? You know, Bartimaeus' need could have been completely different. could have been his parents' house had burned down. It could be that he had a child who was really falling in among some bad folks and stuff. It could have been somebody that he knew and loved that was sick. It could have been he needed, wanted some food. could have been any number of things. The simple act of listening is empowering, and it also helps us do better. I have two quick examples of... Um, time where I listened well, but my assumptions are wrong, which that's okay. Listening well kind of got me there because the fact that we listen well, then God really, we're creating space for the Holy Spirit to work. Both situations here in Gainesville, one I met at a pharmacy and the other is while uh, I was pumping gas. And so I saw them coming and obviously I assumed in Gainesville, Florida, that they needed some money. And that's why they were kind of coming to me and and really, I'm an easy sell. If you need some money, just catch me after church. And yeah, let me see what I, I mean. I'm sure it's not mine in the first place. In each situation, we greeted each other. The first guy had been drinking quite a bit. Um, and he comes up to me and he says, hey, you know any good jokes? I said, um, nah, you know, I, I don't really tell jokes. Um, I just don't know any. And, and he said, okay, okay, I'll tell you one. So he Okay, so he tells me this joke, and it's actually really funny, okay, and it's not dirty, and it's like, well, that was pretty cool, and he says, okay, your turn. I said, man, I, I still don't know any jokes, I mean, you know, and so he said, okay, okay, I'll tell you another one, okay, and so he tells me another one, and I'm kind of waiting for, you know, the ask for the money, um, and so we chatted some more, he followed me outside, told me another joke, you know, I'm getting in the car, and he's hanging on the side of the car talking to me. And so, you know, I'm thinking, man, it's really late. I need to, to get home. And so I said, hey, I'm, I'm Bob Ayers. I'm just, I'm just glad to meet you. Thanks for the jokes. And so we shook hands, and he told me his name, and he said, uh, hey, you have a great evening. Nice to meet you. And he just staggers off. And, and I'm not saying that jokingly, it was, it was just very sad, because the reality is, I thought he wanted money, and what he wanted was a friend. What he wanted was just a conversation, tell some jokes, and maybe that soothed his loneliness, or his pain, or whatever else was going on. I don't know, because I didn't ask those questions. The other gentleman rolled up in a wheelchair while I was pumping gas, and if I remember correctly, he had lost a leg, was wearing a vet veteran's hat, and so after we greeted each other, I said, were you in Vietnam? I think it had a Vietnam emblem on it. And he said, yes. And I said, well, thank you so much for your service. And so we talked about Gator football and several other things, the war and kind of the aftermath of the war and the weather. And when I finished pumping gas, I'm about to walk over and offer him some money and stuff. And he says, I really appreciated talking to you. That's all I wanted. You have a good day. And as he rolled away, I'm just stunned. I mean, this is, these two happen kind of near each other, and I'm just 
kind of stunned, like, man, I just need to, I need to pay better attention to what's going on and not just go on my assumptions. Um, maybe he was going to ask me for money, but it filled a, an emotional need that no longer did that, those coins or that cash really have as much value to him. He just wanted a friend, wanted another human being to talk to. In both situations, you know, I, I responded better kind of accidentally just by, you know, being curious and asking questions and talking. But when we listen to others, when we ask and don't assume, we just seem to do better. We just, we just seem to do better when we ask instead of assume and we ask instead of tell and we ask instead of just give, thinking we're helping and it may actually be hurting. Verse 51, 52, And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said, Go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed Jesus on his way. St. Augustine famously wrote that, Lord, thou hast made us for thyself, and our heart is restless until it finds rest in thee. And this verse is so amazingly rich with the information that it gives us, and it brings us to the end of this message, that regardless of what Bartimaeus wanted, whether it was healing or a handout or help for his family or just this emptiness and this restlessness that he felt, that he knew that Jesus could help, he recognized that God was moving, and he drew close to that movement of God with with minimal understanding. And he finally heard those words, go your way, your faith has made you well. So this is the clincher. This is what just amazes me. Jesus is never predictable. (laughs) Jesus offers him to return back to his old life with new abilities and new sight and new um, access. But this story tells us a lot about Bartimaeus himself. He's not just this poor beggar on the side of the road. He's a man of faith. He's a man who has faith because he fought through this resistant crowd. He found healing in Jesus, got a new start, could go back and be top dog in the neighborhood. And what's he do? He joins the crowd following Jesus. He becomes a follower of Jesus. He gets not only his physical needs met, but he gets his emotional and spiritual and relational. He became part of this community. And that's why we know his name. That's why we know his name, because he got to know the people there, the disciples. Oh, that's Bartimaeus. Oh, there's Bart. You know, there's there's this, this guy who's become a part of us. He didn't just grab his new freedom and return to his old haunts. He became a part of the crowd following Jesus. And this is the story of our covenant with God and Abraham passed all the way to us is that we are blessed to be a blessing. We are blessed by God to be a blessing to the world. We love him. We love each other because he first loved us. It's never too late to do the right thing. It's never too late to to make these changes, throw off the cloak, come running and say, I want to get close to Jesus, see what's going on. Sometimes we have to push down the noise, push aside the crowds, the tapes playing in our head, push those aside and just pay attention that God is moving near and realize that Jesus is our hope. He's the visible expression of the invisible God. He is our hope. And sometimes we just pause long enough to notice everything changes.
So in review, notice when God is moving and draw near. Care about the things that concern God. Encourage others. Help them remove their barriers and remove barriers. And we really are at our best when we listen. And I'll close with the lecturary reading from Psalm 13. It's just so raw and honest, and it's a description of our pain and struggle. Life's hard, you know, and we just keep getting up every day to go at it. But there's a powerful statement of hope that's in our psalm and in this gospel that we just read. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord, my God. Lift up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart will rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.